so much. Well, turn your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 15, if you would, while young people are dismissed. Luke chapter 15. Brother Intermill, good to see you today, sir. God bless you. We've been praying for you, and we're grateful to see you here with us today. Uh, been through a lot, and uh, it's good to see you in church. Pray for Miss Carissa this week. Uh, this week, you think? Baby's going to be born, maybe? We'll see. Some babies are stubborn sometimes, just don't want to come out into the world. But uh, you pray for her. Luke chapter 15. If you will keep your, that's going to be our text. We're also going to read out of Matthew chapter 18. So if you want to turn there and put a finger in that, uh, find those places, that'd be fine. If not, we'll just, uh, you can listen to him as we read. But the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the fruits of the Spirit. Well, we, we went through all of them and uh, what they mean and, and how they're manifested in our life. And now we're looking at each fruit as manifested in the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, he is the best example that we can have for life and practice. And so I want to look at some uh, different areas in which Jesus exhibited the fruits of the Spirit. Now, we looked at gentleness last week. This week, I want to look at the love of Jesus. I was five years old, uh, raised Amish, as most of you know, and so uh, you can picture a little Amish boy with a big old black hat. And, uh, but I got as one of my earliest memories where I got to go to town with my dad. He had hired a man to come and take a load of hogs into the sale barn, and so uh, at this day I was going to be able to go with dad into town, which was a big deal. Uh, I remember the uh, sitting in the truck, just seeing, I was used to a buggy, hadn't seen all these different things, and just watching him, how he's able to drive and do all these things. Everything was new and fascinating to me. When we got there, there were so many people, uh, I just hadn't been used to seeing that many people in one place, and so my eyes are roving everywhere, and I'm looking, and before I know it, uh, Dad's gone. And our friend, his name was, uh, I, I can't remember, I think it was Carl, he was gone. And so there I am finding myself alone and, and, of course, surrounded by wicked, wicked people. That's what you folks are, English people. You're wicked. No matter who you are, that's how we see you as, as, uh, from the Amish. And so found myself alone. I hid behind a pallet of some sort and was watching for a while and just didn't know what to do. I finally figured out in my little mind that if I, was, if I went out to the pickup and waited, they would eventually have to come back. To the pickup so I find the pickup that we came in it had one of those push buttons I was too little and too weak to open it up so I crawled underneath the pickup and I started to watch legs and I asked why would you watch legs well if you've ever met my dad you'd know why I was watching legs he is crippled and so I'm watching for somebody who walks with a bad limp and finally finally I saw and I ran up to my dad probably in tears and of course dad being the loving wonderful parent that he was said, I forgot you came with me today. That's the kind of parent I had. <laughs> One of the worst things in the world is when you're lost. There's fear because you don't know where you are. There's frustration because you cannot find your way. There is fatigue because all the wandering has taken a toll. And there's failure because you've lost your way. All of these feelings can describe our spiritual walk with Christ. And in the, in the Bible, in this chapter that we're going to look at, in Luke chapter 15, there are three parables recorded. All of them are about something that was lost. There is the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost son, or as we call him, the prodigal son. Let's read, if we can, at uh, verse number 4 of Luke chapter 15. 
What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost, until he find it? When he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and his neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Today we want to look at the love of Christ. The love of Christ, our shepherd Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for loving us again. I pray that you would bless this service. May the words that I say be an encouragement and lifting and challenge to everybody here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In our text, there was a great crowd of people, we see in verse number one, of publicans and sinners that gathered around Jesus to hear him teach. And uh, they, they had tasted the dregs of sin. They were, uh, they were burdened and weary with their situation. And th so they came to seek some relief. And praise God, they came to the right place when they came to Jesus Christ. And the three parables here in Luke chapter 15, they're primarily spoken not to these publicans and sinners, but they are spoken to Christ's critics. Look with me in verse number 2. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Then he spake this parable unto them, saying. So he is speaking primarily to his critics who are accusing him of loving these low-down scoundrels, rejects of society, and shouldn't have anything to do with them, and yet Jesus is spending time with them. The three parables in Luke uh, were, were a way of Jesus answering these critics and these chronic complainers. It's interesting to note the increase in value of the three parables. We're not going to go through all three of them, but I'll just recount them. The first parable, we see the lost is one out of a hundred. That is one percent. The second parable, the lost, is one in ten coins. That is 10%. The final parable is one uh, lost, one in, of two sons. That is 50%. Each represents a lost soul matters to God, no matter the significance or insignificance to us. Because percentages matter to man, but people matter to God. In 1799, Conrad Reed in North Carolina discovered a 17-pound rock while he's fishing. It was a unique-looking rock and had some interesting colors in it, and so he took it home, and for three years, he and his family used that rock as a doorstop in their cabin. In 1802... He finally, his, actually his father had, it was his father's idea, said you should take that to a jeweler and get it just looked at and see if there's anything valuable on it. And he did take it in. And they found that it was a lump of gold worth $3,600 then, which would be many tens of thousands for us today. That lump of gold was used as a doorstop for three years. It was one of the biggest gold nuggets ever found east of the Rockies. And its value was completely unknown until somebody saw it who recognized its value. You may not value souls today. You may not value individuals, but God does. And that soul that make, may make you or I curl our lip in, uh, because of the disgust of their depravity makes the heart of the Savior melt in love. I want to show you today the love of Jesus, the love of our Savior. Now, the other passage is found in Matthew chapter 18. If you have that, uh, let me read starting in verse number 12. It's a parallel, uh, it's a parable just like this one given in a different place at a different time. 
But he said, How think ye if a man have an hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine? Verse 12, And goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray. Verse number 13, And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he, that rejo he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones shall perish. Sheep are interesting creatures. I don't know if you've ever raised sheep. Uh, the more I learn about sheep, the more I realize why we are called sheep in the Bible. Philip Keller, I want, you to just, I want to read just a, a segment out of his book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Uh, sheep require more attention than any other livestock. They just can't take care of themselves. Unless their shepherd makes them move on, sheep will actually ruin a pasture, eating every blade of grass until finally a fertile pasture is nothing but barren soil. Sheep are very nearsighted and very stubborn, but easily frightened. An entire flock can be stampeded by a rabbit. They have little means of defense. They're timid, feeble creatures. Their only recourse is to run if no shepherd is there to protect them. Sheep have no homing instance. Uh, instincts, I'm sorry. A dog, a horse, a cat, or a bird can find its way home, but when a sheep gets lost, it is a goner unless someone rescues it. The overriding principle of Psalm 23 is that sheep cannot make it without a shepherd, end quote. When the Bible calls people sheep, and it does so often, understand this, that is not necessarily a compliment. <laughs> it's not necessarily bragging on us when he calls us sheep. Now, there are all kinds of wild animals. There are wild horses. There are wild cattle. There are wild dogs and cats. Uh, a few years ago, we were coming back from a, a trip in California from a conference there, and we drove through one of my favorite places in the continental U.S., and that is Death Valley. And uh, we're going through there, and I had my son Tim with me. This was a few years ago when he was not as smart because now he's a Bible college student. Uh, and uh, so we come across a herd of wild burrows. Have you ever seen these? They're out, they're desert burrows, they're wild creatures out there. And of course, being the loving father that I am, I offered him 50 bucks if he could touch one. It was a lot of fun watching my son run through the desert trying to catch a burrow, uh, which I knew he couldn't do anyway. Uh, but they are, uh, sheep are not like these wild animals. There are no wild sheep. Why? Because sheep are too dim-witted and helpless to be wild. If you let other animals go, a couple of things will happen. Either the animal goes wild, or the animal comes home. But sheep do neither. They wander around aimlessly. You give a normal animal its freedom, what will it do? It's going to kick up its heels, sing out born free, and live the life. But you set a sheep loose, and what does a sheep do? It wanders around in circles, and where am I? And who's going to feed me supper? And what am I going to do? That's what a sheep does. You let a horse go without a rancher, the horse goes wild. Without a shepherd, the sheep dies. A sheep has no sense of direction. A sheep has no discernment about what it's going to eat. In fact, it will eat poison plants if someone's not there to stop it. A sheep can get caught on its back like a turtle, unable to get back up on its feet and die there if nobody comes and helps it up again. So with all that in mind, who's the shepherd? Well, a shepherd is someone who lives with the sheep. 
The kind of shepherd Jesus is talking about here never goes home. Uh, the, the, the kind of shepherd we're talking about in the Bible lives with the sheep. He sleeps with them. The shepherd does everything for the sheep. So when we say the Lord is my shepherd, it's more than just a sentimentality that we hear at a funeral. It means that he has to be everything to me. John 15, 5, without me, ye can do nothing, is what Jesus says. And we don't really live like that. We like the sound of when the Lord is my shepherd, but we really hate the truth of it. Because more, most basically, we believe, and when we look at ourselves, we believe that we are pretty intelligent people. In fact, we're a little more intelligent than most. And uh, we see ourselves as a pretty good person. We know we generally make good decisions. And so what we want in our life is not so much a shepherd as a consultant. We would like to have someone on retainer that when I have a problem, I can snap my fingers and he'll show up and help me. But that is not at all the idea of a shepherd. A shepherd is different, and we'd better face the fact, friend, we need a shepherd. We are sheep that need a shepherd. We don't need a consultant. We need a shepherd. Uh, without a shepherd, we go the wrong way. We do the wrong things. We bring harm to ourselves. We find ourselves in the same mess over and over again. We need constant rescuing. This morning I have a short video that I've compiled that I'd like to show you if the guys can turn that on at this time. Just a minute and a half or so. I wanted to show you some things about sheep. Boy, isn't that us? Amen. Would you agree along with me today that sheep need a shepherd? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we get ourselves in the same pickle over and over again, and we get rescued, and what do we do? We jump right back into that same problem again and again. We need a shepherd. I want to look at breaking this story down here and looking at the reaction of Christ, but look first at the wandering of the sheep. In Matthew 18, 12, we read that the sheep had gone astray. In Luke 15, 4, we saw that the uh, the sheep was lost. There's a lack of devotion here. Sheep need to follow the shepherd if they're going to do well.
but often they keep their head down to the ground. They never look up to see where the shepherd's at, and they get distracted by their surroundings until they lose their way. And boy, does this not describe us today. We live in a time of absolute information explosion. 100 billion, with a B, emails are sent each day, more than 10 times the world's population. Each day, 500 new books are published. Last year alone, 27 trillion, with a T, trillion texts were sent. Starting in the year that Christ was born, it took 1,500 years for all the knowledge in the world to double. And the next doubling took only 250 years. The one after that took only 150 years. By the end of World War II, the knowledge, uh, general knowledge we're talking about worldwide, doubled every 25 years. Today, that knowledge doubles every 12 months. No wonder we're overwhelmed. No wonder we're easily distracted. We look without seeing. We, hear, we, we listen without hearing, and we speak without understanding. We've learned how to make a living, but not a life. We've added life to years. I'm sorry, we've added years to life, but not life to years. We've been to the moon and back, but we have trouble crossing the street to meet a new neighbor. We've conquered outer space, but not inner self. The human heart remains as unruly as ever. That's why it tells us in Proverbs 4.25, Let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. When the shepherd does call, often the sheep will not pay attention to his calls, instead going their own way. And so it is with us when we take our eyes off the Lord, when we don't heed his calls. Leave God out of your life, and you will be missing the best things in life. Because when our devotion to deity declines, so do our blessings. We have resources. We have a shepherd. Let's take advantage of the fact that we have someone who will lead and guide and care for us. Let's take advantage of our shepherd. 87%. 87% of Americans who own running shoes, running shoes, don't run. 87%, I'm sorry to say I'm in that category. I have running shoes, but I don't run. Uh, all I'm saying is in the Christian life, don't despise what you have. Use what you have. We have a shepherd. Let's take advantage of it. There's also a lack of discretion. Sheep can become so involved in their own thing, they pay no attention to where they are. As a result, they'll eventually wander off and, uh, from where they should be, and many people are like this as well so taken up with the business of material cares in our life, leaving no time for God. And the things that uh, we are so involved with often are not necessarily evil. The evil is in the inordinate, in, in excessive attention given to those things of the world. I'm not talking about sin necessarily, but just giving too much attention to something. Misplaced values, friend, send the lost to hell and the Christian to the wilderness if we're not careful. There's a wandering is talked about here throughout this passage. It's described in Matthew 18, 12 as going astray. It's in Luke 15, 4 as being lost. There are some consequences when sheep go astray, when they wander, when they get lost. There is that wandering in, in uh, the, the, the word translated astray in Matthew means literally to wander or to roam about. When a sheep goes astray, it wanders from the shepherd and from the other sheep of the flock. And once they start wandering, they just wander further and further away. Isaiah 53, 6 says that mankind is like sheep who have gone astray. 
Like sheep, men also wander farther and farther away from God. The world today is wandering uh, farther and farther away, not knowing where they're going. They wander from one Christless philosophy to another, aimlessly seeking for some meaning in their life. And they're not going to find it without a shepherd. They're not going to find it apart from Christ. There is no pasture when they wander. Uh, sooner or later, you're going to run out of pasture when you're wandering. Uh, David said in Psalm 23, He maketh me lie down in green pastures. Follow the shepherd and you'll have pasture. Wander away and soon you won't have any pasture. Sin leads you further and further away from the pastures that we so desperately need. And secondly, then we have no peace when we're wandering. A wandering sheep is not a happy sheep. When, it, when a sheep is wandering, soon you will hear its troubled bleeding and its cries. It is not a pretty sound. It reminds us of the awful sounds that they call music, degrading, from degrading nightclubs and worldly concerts. All these sounds are just the bleeding of lost street sheep who have gone astray. This so-called music manifests a total lack of peace in the hearts of the singer and the listeners. There's a lack of peace in our world today. We need a shepherd, do we not? And then there's no protection. The wandering sheep is exposed to all the dangers of the wild. He is helpless to do anything about them. Listen, there is nothing more helpless than a lost sheep, except maybe a lost sinner. We're helpless without Christ. The problem is resolved when the Lord is our shepherd. Psalm 23, 4, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil when thou art with me. When you have wandered away from the shepherd, you have plenty to fear. Without Christ, you have no protection from the eternal torment of hellfire. Without Christ, you have no protection from the cruel effects of sin. But with the shepherd, with the shepherd comes deliverance from all those things. Another meaning for the word astray in Matthew is to lead into error. In short, it means when you go astray, you're going the wrong way. When you wander from God, you never wander onto the right road. You ever noticed that? If you've ever wandered away, like the song said, wandered far away from God, you never wander or happen onto the right road. The problem is that our world that we live in today tries to redefine the wrong way and make it the right way. Our society has a lot of nice terms that it uses to make the wrong way sound like the right way. Drunkenness is called a disease. Abortion is called a woman's right or pro-choice. Homosexuality is called an alternative lifestyle. Gambling is called economic stimulus. Liquor kills, but it's called the life by many. Beating a bunch of drums until it deafens the ears is called music. Walking on an American flag is called a freedom of expression. Putting manure on a religious statue is called art. In our day, we have so watered down these different terms about sin and the con and compromised with evil. But we lose the seriousness of the sinner's condition and the sinfulness of sin. We rename it and we just try to make it easier on our palate. But wrong is wrong, though all condone it, and right is right, though all condemn it. Let's remember that. Name tags do not change character. You might put a nice name tag on a lost sheep, but they're still as lost as a ball in high weeds. We need a shepherd. And then there's the idea of being wrecked. The phrase that is uh, that which is lost in Luke 15:4 comes from a Greek word that means to destroy. 
To be lost does not mean that an all-knowing God does not know where you are. What it means is that you don't know where you are. Being destroyed, you are a spiritual wreck. Without Christ in your life, that wreckage will be eternal. Oh, listen, friend, if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, may I uh, plead with you today that you can do that before you leave even here today. There is the great and loving shepherd who gave himself for you. Lost means wrecked, and sin wrecks the life. Another meaning of the word translated that which is lost is to render useless or worthless. When a sheep wanders, it's on the wrong path. It is wrecked. It's not worth much. Uh, would you agree along with me? You can't shear a lost sheep. <laughs> it's lost. It's gone. Lost sheep are useless. So is a lost sinner. Because sin takes away our spiritual value. It destroys our moral worth. Sin cheapens our life. When you play fast and loose with your morals, oh, how it devalues your life and takes away your worth. So we see there the wandering of the sheep, but then, praise the Lord, we come to the rescuing of the sheep. Look at verse number four back in Luke. What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if you lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? Praise the Lord, the lost sheep was not ignored. It was rescued from its lost condition. And we see a seeking here. The man seeking the lost sheep was the shepherd. See, the duty of the shepherd is to take care of his sheep. And no one, friend, is better qualified to take care of the sheep than is the shepherd. Uh, so it is with Jesus Christ, who is called the great shepherd in Hebrews 13, 20. He said of himself, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke 19, 10. The primary purpose that Christ came to earth was the seeking and saving of sinners. And that we see the awesome, marvelous, all-encompassing love of Jesus that he would give himself for us. A shepherd seeking an undeserving lost sheep is love at its finest. It shows us the biggest difference between uh, the Christian faith and all the other religions in the world. Just the other day I was talking to someone and they uh, talking to him about the gospel. And they said, how do you know that you're, why is your way the only way? There's thousands of religions in the world and they all claim to be the only way. How are you the only way? Well, there's actually really only two religions in the whole world. There's a religion that says it's done, D-O-N-E by Jesus Christ on the cross. And then there's the religion that says, do. You've got to work and work and work your own way to salvation. Now, that religion has many, many facets. But those are really the only two options. We have a shepherd who has given his life for us. This uh, difference with uh, other religions and Christianity, uh, the, one of the big differences is the fact that uh, th this idea of a seeking God. Christianity is the only faith among men that has represented God as seeking man. We see that in the Bible. Other faiths represent man seeking God, which is not really true anyway because the Bible says in Romans 3.11, there is none that seeketh after God. But that's how religions portray it. Apart from grace, man does not desire God. He might be involved in religion, but that religion is just self-serving. 
In this parable, it wasn't the sheep that did the searching, praise God. It was the shepherd who went after the sheep. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Throughout Scripture, we encounter a seeking God, chasing and pursuing. What an amazing concept that an omniscient, self-sufficient God, one who owns everything and needs nothing, still would seek for something, and that something would be you and me. What a blessing. That's true love. Christ's compassion for the sinner is great. He says in John 10, I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus Christ is the only shepherd who does that. Now, in the Old Testament, Jacob was a shepherd. Jacob worked for his uncle Laban. It says in Genesis chapter 31, he's telling Laban, hey, if I lose your sheep or if they're stolen on my watch or something happens to them, then with my own hand I'll repay you. He doesn't say I'll die for them. David was a good shepherd. When a lion and a bear came at different times and attacked the sheep, David risked life and limb to go out and fight them. But I wonder if he would have done the same if he'd known for sure he was going to die. I don't think so. You can be a good shepherd, even a great shepherd, but shepherds don't die for their sheep. The uniqueness of Christ is that as a shepherd, he lays down his life for his sheep, and he does so voluntarily. No man taketh it from me, he said, but I lay it down of myself. What love that we see in our Savior. Notice in verse number four, the question given to the critics here. What man of you having an hundred sheep, if you lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness? That question magnifies the compassion of the shepherd. It's only one sheep. Uh, you had a hundred sheep and only one run off, and it's its own fault. I mean, it ran off, it knew better, and it ran off anyway. But he doesn't say that. He still goes through a great effort to find it. The motivation here is not profit or gain. It is compassion for the sheep. J.C. Watts said compassion cannot be measured in dollars and cents. It does come with a price tag, but that price tag isn't the amount of money spent. The price tag is love. In our Matthew text, it says that he goeth into the mountains and seeketh that which is gone astray. Going into a mountain speaks of a lot of effort. This week, I went up a mountain. My son and I, my sons, I should say, both of them, and I climbed all the way to the top of Pikes Peak, all the way to the top. We climbed up in a Jeep on a road, but we still climbed it, okay? <laughs> Not going to take away from that. Now, uh, it was a, it, that is really high up there. In fact, I could see your house from there. I know what you were doing Thursday at 2 p.m. Shame on you. Not really, I'm just kidding. Uh, there was some fog, I couldn't see your house. But it's not easy to climb a mountain. And here it talks about the shepherd going up a mountain to rescue the sheep. And what a picture of the love of Christ. Because he too, friend, went up a mountain. He went up on Mount Calvary to deliver us from our sin and to rescue us from our condition. He did so because of the shepherd he is. What love, the love of the shepherd. He says in verse 4 here, Will he not go after that which he is lost until he find it? The shepherd in pursuit of the lost sheep is not dispirited by difficulty. He is not discouraged by danger. He is not disheartened by distance. And by the way, this doesn't mean all the sheep will be found. He says in Matthew 18, 13, if so be that he find it. Not every sheep will be fine. This does not mean that Christ cannot find them. Rather, it means that some sinners refuse his rescue. Oh, how sad for a shepherd to give his life for the sheep and then the sheep to reject that gift of salvation. And yet, so many sheep do that today. So many people do so. 
I like this in verse 5, after finding the sheep, when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders. Two, plural, shoulders. That means he puts the sheep across uh, over his neck there and hangs the legs down and with the right hand he's got two legs here and with the left hand he's got two legs there and the strength of the sheep though it's sapped by the lack of food and its continuous wandering and constant fear its strength is gone but yet here's the strength of the shepherd taking the sheep on his shoulders Romans 5 6 for when we were yet without strength in due time Christ died for the ungodly oh when Christ saves us he lifts us high upon his shoulders it is his strength that leads us into his will this is what Paul meant when he said I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me through that shepherd praise God for the love of Jesus no way that sheep was going to be lost wrapped around the sh the uh, the shepherd's shoulders, hands holding on to the feet. This is permanent security. The safety of that sheep rested squarely in the hands of the shepherd. What a great picture this is of the security of believers. Uh, those will never perish, perish whom he carries on his shoulders. Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hands. He's got his hands around it. I'm glad it's his hands keeping me, not my hands. Amen? The wandering of the sheep, the rescue of the sheep, and then finally I want you to see the rejoicing over the sheep. This is really the climax of the parable. Luke chapter 15 again here in verse number 5, it says, He layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. He didn't wait till he got home to rejoice. He started rejoicing as soon as he got that lost sheep planted on his shoulders. In Luke chapter 15 verse 6, he called together his friends and neighbors saying unto them, Rejoice with me for I have found my sheep which was lost. Oh, so often we get the call with bad news, but not this call. The call went out to celebrate the return of the lost. The, can I tell you, friend, and remind you that the so-called pleasures of sin are so short-lived and they do not last. And in the end, sin always brings sorrow, but salvation brings great joy. It turns pain into pleasure, heartache into happiness, and desolation into delight. And that's what's happening right here. Look at verse number 7. Likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. Heaven does not get excited about political victories. Heaven does not get enthusiastic about Super Bowls. Heaven certainly doesn't take notice of Hollywood Oscar shows. I don't know if anybody takes notice of them anymore, but certainly heaven doesn't. What's important in heaven is the salvation of souls. This is what characterizes heaven. If you want the right perspective on what in this life is important, look at what heaven's reaction is to it. This is a rebuke to the Pharisees, especially, who murmured and got angry because Jesus brought sinners to repentance. Instead of delight, there was disapproval. Instead of being glad, they were mad that Jesus is reaching these poor lost souls. These religious leaders were a sorry lot. They found pain in what heaven found pleasure. The attitude that, uh, that, that cannot rejoice when a soul is saved is small and sick and warped. We ought to rejoice when people get saved. Hey, you introduced me to someone that you led to Christ. I'll do the happy dance with you. Amen? I'm excited when people get saved. We want to see people come to Christ. And I'm simply saying, let's rejoice in what heaven rejoices in. 
I want to ask you today, friend, are you lost like this sheep? Or maybe you have come to Christ before, but you've wandered away from the shepherd. He is seeking you today. Isn't that a great thought? He is seeking you. He wants you to come back to him. He wants to find you and bring you back to the fold. What love of the shepherd. Christian, let me ask you, what are you about the business of finding lost lambs? That's what we ought to be about. The love of Christ is seen in his seeking every and each one of us. I love the song, could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made and every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. The great love of God and Christ is shown in his seeking each and every one of us. Our great love for Christ is for us to love one another, and seek other lost lambs the way that he did. Thank God for the love of the shepherd. Aren't you grateful for that today? We have a shepherd who loves us, who leads us, and when we wander, he comes out and finds us and brings us back to the fold. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you have wandered away from God and you need to come back to the fold. You can do so today. And you know what will happen? The Bible says there will be rejoicing, rejoicing in heaven. Balloons and cake and ice cream and hallelujahs because of a sinner coming home. Let's have our heads bowed, our eyes closed. I don't know where this message found you, friend, but there's a loving shepherd. Loves you more than anything you, any way you can imagine. He loves you that much. He's given his life for you. If you've never come to Christ, why don't you come forward and let somebody take a Bible and show you how you can know that you know that you know you'll be in heaven when you die. And maybe you're here and you say, I've, I've, I'm saved, I'm a Christian, but I've... I've wandered a little bit. I need to come back. Would you stand along with me as she begins to play if the altar is open here? If you